good morning again. So, so we're in week two of our series, Hot Topics. And, and of all the different topics we're going to look at over, these, over the next four weeks after today, but during this six-week series, I think today's is one of the most important for all of us to truly understand. And, and I think it's a question that as we go through this life that as Christ followers and as believers of what God's Word says, we need to be able to answer this question. And, and of course, the big question for today is this. Can you trust the Bible? Is it true? Because here's the thing. A lot of us will sit there and say, yes, amen, but do we believe everything it says cover to cover? Truly believe everything it says cover to cover. Now, even better than that, if someone came up to you and said, well, I know you believe in God's Word and you believe in this Bible, why? Which becomes the bigger question of why do you believe it? Now, I'm so glad that my brother Peter arrived today. So, because so, Peter, so you know, is a trial attorney. And, and we talked last week, and I talked about this subject, and I said, you know, it's kind of like, a trial attorney, there's times that you as a Christian are going to be put on trial and you're going to have to defend your faith. You're going to have to defend who you are. And you know what? You're going to have to defend this. You're going to have to defend what it says. And I think when we look at defending what it says and what it is, I think sometimes it's kind of hard for us to do it. And See, because I don't think there's anyone in this room who would just believe what someone said, correct? You wouldn't just believe it, right? You'd want proof. You'd want to be able to see and understand it. You know, if I came up here and said, hey, the sky outside is pink, most of y'all ain't going to believe it. Now, some people may say, okay, pastor says pink is pink. Don't do that. Actually look out there and go, well, no, it's actually blue. Well, technically it's Carolina blue or it's this blue, you know. But be able to defend and be able to have those conversations about it. And I look at if God's word is inspired. We, we all say it's the inspired word of God. It's God's breath. It's, it's what we go by. It's what we live our life by. And ultimately, if something is divinely put together, and most of your books out there from different scriptures, they say are holy and they are inspired by God. But, but I think what we got to do is then actually look at them and ask some questions. Are they correct? So you can look at it and say, with history, the known history that we have, is what is inside this Bible correct and match up with history? Is it geographically correct? You know, if it says something is to the west of Israel... Is it actually west of Israel? But then actually take the time to look even deeper into it and say, what proof do we have that it's really what it says it is? And, and how can we actually go and do what it is? Because I, I don't know about you, but if someone was coming to try and convert me to some other religion, say it was Islam or Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, Scientology, whatever it was, and they said, hey, look, this is the book you need to follow, I'm going to investigate it. I want to see that it's actually true to what it says it is. And by the way, when you look at the Bible, it is. All those others 
they have a hard time stacking up to it. But that's actually what we're going to be looking at today as we dig into this hot topic of, is it true? Can you trust the Bible, and is it actually true for what it says it is? And kind of the big idea for the day is, how can you trust the Bible? How can you trust the Bible? And and I think we as Christ followers, we can trust the Bible as God's word because of its enduring message. It's lasted through time. It's continued. And the Bible still remains the primary way that God teaches, encourages, and even guides humanity today. And I believe as believers, we can be confident. We can be confident that the message inside the Scripture and the message of the Scripture is reliable and it's relevant in our lives and that we can live in confidence knowing that this is the inspired Word of God. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry, there's one in the back of the pew. And with that, let's go ahead and dig in. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know the, that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So in this passage, we're looking at the Apostle Paul is writing to his protege, Timothy. And he's writing to him, and he's kind of letting him know that, hey, look, you you know what the Scripture says. He, He just finished prior to this. He's telling Timothy how bad the world's getting, how people are are just looking to themselves, looking to other gods. They're lovers of of everything except the Word. Kind of like what we got today, right? People are worried about everything else or their own gods or whatever they want in their life and, and their own greed, their own selfishness, their own arrogance. And so, so Paul's reminding Timothy, look, this is what's going on. But stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in what it says and and just remember that what you've been taught through the word. And it has taught you, it has led you, it it has made you into the person you've been today. And by the way, it's inspired by God. Literally God breathed. God breathed the words into the authors of the book to be put down today. He, He And he's basically telling him, look, you know what Scripture is, and you have accepted Jesus because of what this Scripture says. Believe it, stand firm in it, and continue to move forward in your life. And so he's literally telling him, look, you know the Scriptures. You know what it says. People in this room, you know the Scriptures. You know what it says. But do we always live by it? And when times get tough, he's telling him, Timothy, you need to do, go back to your infancy and remember... You have been taught by this and move forward with it and continue to teach people, continue to reach people so that they can come to know the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. So today as we kind of look at this, and I got to thinking about how can we trust the Bible? And as I said at the very, you know, last week, 
each one of us has our own opinions or ideas on things, and especially as we go through these hot topics. I want to encourage you, if your opinion or your view doesn't line up with what God's Word says, make sure you line it up with God's Word. Don't expect God's Word to line up with your own personal opinion or your own personal view. Because if your viewer opinion doesn't line up with God's Word, guess what? It's probably wrong. So you want to line it up with God's Word. And, and as we dig through this, I really got to thinking, how can we defend the Bible with someone who doesn't believe the Bible? Because you think about it, if you don't believe what God's Word says, you say, oh, this is just a collection of books, it's, it's full of mythology, and then I say, well, let me tell you about God's Word, and, and I open up to 2 Timothy, and I tell you that this Word is inspired by God. How far is that going to get the conversation? It's not. It's not going to get the conversation because if the person don't believe it, they're not going to believe anything you say that's in it. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to teach you how to, or actually talk about how to defend and how to prove the Bible is what it says it is without using the Bible. Because many of the people we're going to come in contact with, especially in today's world, already don't believe what it says. So guess what? You're not going to be able to use it to convince someone that it's real. But what we can do is we can show that the Bible is real, the Bible is truth, it is what it says it is, and it does what it says it does by what is around us in the world today. So basically we're going to put the Bible on trial, if that makes sense. So as we look at this, I've actually, I'm going to pick three different items that we can look at and just to understand that, like I said, if someone don't believe it, you're not going to convince them with it. you got to go outside of it to have them understand. So, so I think one of the things that we can trust the Bible because of its continuity. Now understand, continuity is this concept of, of a consistent message throughout the Bible. And, and for us, we know from Genesis to Revelation, the whole thing is consistent. It's consistent. The message is the same throughout all of God's Word. Um, God doesn't tell us in the Old Testament to love your neighbor. And then the New Testament tells us hate and kill your neighbor. Okay, that really wouldn't make sense, right? There wouldn't be consistency going through. So there is nothing that changes in the consistency of the Bible. If we're told to do something, it stays the same throughout God's Word. You know, it, it doesn't change that way. So we see the continuity, we see consistency in it. And, and as we look at and when you think about the author of the book, if, if I were to write a book, it would stay consistent throughout. The theme, everything would be the same. And ultimately, if we took a small group of people and put them inside of a room to write a book, it would probably still be pretty consistent. But now you've got to think about God's Word. Th think about how it was all put together. Think about the people who put it together. And, and a lot of people, you know, oh, the Bible is a book. Well, the Bible is actually 66 books compiled into one book, which makes it even more thinking, wait, there's 66 different books in here that all have the same theme from beginning to end. And they've all been put together. And, and even more interesting is the Bible was written over a 1,500-year period. So it took 1,500 years to put it all together. Over 40 different people wrote the Bible. 
And they came from all different backgrounds, from kings to shepherds to everything in between. Everything in between. Shepherds are the lowest of low, kings are the high of high, and everything in between. And, and you really think about it, Moses was the first political leader of Israel. He was considered a prophet. He was a teacher. The apostle Paul wrote from, uh, the apostle Paul was a Pharisee. You got David, Solomon were both kings. Peter was a fisherman. Matthew was a tax collector. So you have all different backgrounds of all the different people who are writing the book. Now think about just inside here. If we took different people from inside this church, how many different backgrounds we would have, different jobs we have, and tell everyone to go into your own room and write this book and think we can put it together and it be cohesive. And it to say the same thing and have the same message throughout. It'd be pretty impossible to do. So as we look at the cohesiveness of the Bible, it's rather impressive. Just the fact that the amount of time it was written, where it was written, um, it was actually written in different places during different times. If you think about it, Moses was in the wilderness, Jeremiah was in a dungeon, Paul was in prison, John was in exile. So all these different places. The entire New Testament, most of the authors wrote while being persecuted. So they were being persecuted and still writing the Bible. And of course, since it was written over a 1,500-year span, there had to be differences in the world. Think about if you wrote something just 10 years ago compared to now. And you were talking 10 years ago about artificial intelligence, you'd be thinking it was a sci-fi movie. And then it's the reality of today. So over that 1,500-year period, there were so many different dialects, so many different things going on, but it was still cohesive. David wrote during war. Solomon wrote during peace and prosperity. The Bible was written in three different continents, in three different languages. Most of the entire Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament written in Greek, and there's pockets of Aramaic in both. In, in, in Daniel, by like chapter 2 through 7 is in Aramaic. Uh, Ezra chapter 4 through 7 is in Aramaic. And, and then in the book of Matthew, the words that many of us know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is actually in Aramaic in the original text. And Aramaic and Hebrew are very close to each other in, in dialect and in tone. Um, but now you're talking three different languages, three different continents, 1,500 years, 40 different people, and the story is consistent. It's consistent throughout from Genesis all the way through. And I just find it amazing even the different styles it's written in. Written in poetry, romance, written in love, written with, with sarcasm, written as biography, bibliographies, history, all throughout, and it still holds the same consistent theme throughout. There's got to be something to it. And for anyone to sit there and go, oh, well, it's just a bunch of books, just looking at the consistency should make them go, wow, there is something about that book. It, 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 there's something about it. It, it has to be God-breathed. It must have been written by a higher power. Someone had to do it. And so we can understand that it is inspired by God. Just looking at the consistency and everything put together, because there's no way that 
me personally could think of anything written over that many times, all that time could be consistent if it wasn't inspired by someone greater than us. The second thing we're going to look at is, I think we can trust the Bible because of its manuscript evidence. Uh, the point of focus here is, is what we possess concerning the Bible. You know, as you look at the Bible, the, the manuscripts itself, um, they were written on like a parchment, a real perishable type of paper. And the fact that we still have some of them today that they've endured uh, throughout this time as throughout the years that we still have them available for us. One thing that's interesting, that little history and nerd alert here, is there's over 6,000 manuscripts of the New Testament alone. Now think about it. 6,000 original manuscripts of the Bible. If you go into any university today and you, you tell them, hey, do you have any problem with current books that we have from antiquity being authentic? And they'll be crickets. They won't say a word about it. But yet with 6,000 copies of what the Bible was or 6,000 pieces of the New Testament, they'll say, oh, well, we can't believe it. Which really makes no sense. So we have 6,000 actual manuscripts from the Bible, and the closest book in history is actually Homer's The Iliad that they have 1,000 original uh, manuscripts from. And they will tell you with just those 1,000 manuscripts that that's a perfect example of what was truly written back when that book was written. And it's okay that you got 6,000 copies of the Bible and 6,000 originals, but that's not true. That's how the world will play that on us. So we have the most of anything as far as you look at the, the original manuscripts. The Bible has actually more than any other documented ancient writing than the, what's in the world today. And one of the reasons, just so you know, one of the, having all those manuscripts help us to prove its authenticity, helps us to prove that what we have today is actually original or it meets what the original Bible actually said. Because with all those 6,000 different pieces, they can actually put it together and start lining it up and say, hey, these were copied very well and we can actually agree that what we have was from the original text. You think about it this way, is if I told everyone in this room I want each one of you get out a pen, get a pad of paper, and I want you to write the book of James. And everyone in this room sat down and you penned out the entire book of James. Out of everyone in this room and every copy in this room, there would only be a couple that have zero mistakes. Others would have different mistakes. But now think of this, if we brought them all together and we laid them out, and we started going through line by line, word by word, comma by comma, and everything else, we would end up with making the adjustments. We would end up having almost a perfect copy of the book of James. That's what having all the manuscripts does. They're able to sit there and look through it. And of all the manuscripts and everything they have, looking at a website called reasonabletheology.org, it actually said this. Comparing the incredible amount of manuscript evidence has shown 
that the New Testament is 99.5% accurate and the vast majority of differences are in spelling or minor copy errors. So now, reality, think of the New Testament in your Bible. The amount of errors in the New Testament would be half of a written page. But people say, oh, there's errors, there's contradictions, oh, no way. 99.5% accurate. It, the Bible was not put together playing the, the game telephone. Y'all remember that game, right? You know, I sit there and I whisper something to Mike. And then Michael whispered to Andre and then to Linda, and it goes around the whole room. And by the time it gets over here to Jerry, we see if it's what I actually said. And, and generally, it's not even close, right? Well, guess what? That's not how the Bible got put together. They were very specific on how they copied and what they did. And if they actually found error, they would throw away the whole thing and start all over. So, so the New Testament going through manuscripts is 99.5% accurate. Oh, and by the way, none of the errors had anything to do with doctrine. No doctrine impact whatsoever. It was simple spelling or copying, whether it was commas or just misspelled words, whatever it was. None of it was doctrinal. So having that all together helps us to understand that what we have is what was written. What we have is what was inspired by the writer and through time with different languages, yes, words may change from my brothers to my brothers and sisters. And I'm okay with that. But it's still the same word that was written, the same word that was inspired by the authors of the book, 40 different ones put together over 1,500 years. It's still the same. What we have today is what they penned. So because of manuscripts, we can understand that what we have is what we have. And that's mainly with the New Testament. Old Testament was a whole different ballgame. The oldest copy, well, I should say, yeah, the oldest copy of the Old Testament they had was actually from around 950 B.C. So you think about 950 B.C., you're like, man, that ain't accurate. And, and your liberals would automatically say it was so long from the time of Moses to this copy that was 950 B.C. that, hey, there's no way it's accurate whatsoever until they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1940. By finding the Dead Sea Scrolls and finding almost an entire copy of the book of Isaiah that predated any other copy by over a thousand years, they were able to do the same thing they've done with the New Testament, with the Old Testament, to verify that what we have is what was actually written. So how can we know the Bible is true? We know the Bible is the same one that was written in the books because of the consistency and because of the actual, um, yeah, the actual copies of it that we already have. And the last thing is the accuracy of the Bible. As we look at the accuracy of it, um, the Bible is inspired by God as it's claimed, you know, we'd expect it to be accurate. As I said in the beginning, if it says, hey, something is west of Jerusalem, you look, it's west of Jerusalem. If you look at the history of the Bible, it matches the history from the, the known history from around the world. So it matches all of that. And, and you think about the whole um, accuracy and, and 
if what we see in the Bible and it says this is this and we actually see it, then we know it's true. The Bible is actually 100% in every case when it comes down to its accuracy on geographical issues or anything like that. It's 100% accurate. And, and we would expect that. The Bible's accurate with human history. It's accurate with geography. It's accurate throughout. And one of the ways that people used to try and discredit the Bible was because of the Hittites. Now, you all know the Hittites in the Bible. They were written over, over 50 times the Bible mentions the Hittites or the clan of the Hittites. As a matter of fact, Uriah, husband of Bathsheba that David had killed, was a Hittite. Well, see, the problem was, was they found no Hittite community in history. They couldn't actually find it, so what they said is, oh, Bible must be a myth because it's talking about a clan of people that do not exist. And then archaeologists started digging. And in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they actually found discoveries of the Hittite clan and how they were very popular and a very big and strong in the community and in the world in the 15th century, 15th and 16th century B.C. So the one way that they tried to say, oh, this wasn't here because we never found this clan was actually disproven by archaeologists. By archaeologists actually digging and finding out that what they talked about in the Bible was true. There is actually no archaeological dig that has disproved the Bible. If anything, every dig, piece of digging they do proves the Bible that much more. And that's, I, I could go on with this all day because I love it. I, I love history. I love looking um, and, and proving that the Bible is what it says it is. And, and proving that our faith is what we stand on. But see, trying to understand if you're in the court of law, and I go up and I say, well, I believe in God because this book says so. And the judge says, that's just a book of fables. I've got to be able to prove myself, right? Me just saying, I believe this is the word of God and it says it's inspired, so I'm going to believe it, won't stand in the court of law. Guess what? It won't stand in the court on the street corner either. It's not going to stand where people don't believe what it is. You probably, every one of us have family or friends that don't believe it is what it is. Oh, well, you know, we're New Testament now. We live in God's grace, so we don't need to worry about the Old Testament. Jesus talked about the Old Testament for a reason. The entire book is inspired by God. It's just not New Testament, Old Testament. It is the entire word of God, and this is what we go by. This is what we live our life on as a Christian. And we need to be able to stand firm. It is what it says it is, that it is the inspired word of God. And, you know, as we look at other books, all the other holy books, the book of Quran, uh, the Quran has many different revisions to it. It's been revised over and over over time. And what's interesting is they say, hey, if you're going to follow it, you need to get the newest revision. So think about that. If, you've, if you were Muslim and you'd been following the Quran for 50 years, and now, oh, here's revision 3.0, you now need to believe this. So then you got to go through and see what it all says, and if it, it's not about what you grew up with, then you've got to change. God's Word never does that. 
you think about Scientology, it was written by uh, Hubbard. Hubbard was a science fiction uh, writer. Ron L., uh, L. Ron Hubbard, he wrote science fiction books, but yet he's the one who started Scientology. If he wrote science fiction, do I really, am I going to believe that his book is inspired by God? You know, and, and as you look through other world religions, a lot of them are the same way. They're written by a man who says he was inspired by God. Not 40 different people over 15,000 years, three continents, three languages, and everything else, and coming together, being the inspired word of God and being consistent from Genesis through Revelation. Having the same theme, the same story, and all of it pointing to Jesus. Why do we believe what we believe? Because we have evidence outside of God's word in the actual world today to prove it is what it says it is. And, and we should be able to stand firm in exactly that. Yeah, and, and I know it's a lot of information today, and <clears throat> I just want to encourage you to take time to learn why you believe what you believe. If you truly go and believe the Bible, find out why you believe it. <clears throat> not just because my parents made me read it growing up. Not just because I've been in church, you know, for 40 years. So this is what the pastor always preached on. And, and this is what I grew up in. And I believe it because I've always had it. Because you believe in it because you always had it is not going to help with someone who doesn't believe a single letter in it. You've got to be able to stand your ground and stand on that faith and prove why you believe what you believe. <clears throat> if you go to court, you've got to prove your innocence. Even though it says you're innocent until proven guilty, <clears throat> you've got to prove your innocence. When you're standing there talking to someone about Jesus, you've got to be able to prove what you believe. Because if you can't prove it, it's never going to happen. And you're going to walk away, and they're going to walk away going their own way, saying, yep, I told you so. <clears throat> we live in the same type of world that Timothy was living in. Verses 2 through 5 actually said this. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Sound familiar? That sounds like the world we're living in today, right? So if the Apostle Paul was taking the time to tell Timothy, hey, you've known this since a child. It's inspired by God. The world you're living in ain't going to believe it. But you need to stand firm in it. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Stand firm in it. You got time during the week instead of playing a video game or watching TV. Yeah, I'm saying playing a video game for the kids and myself in the room. Okay? <laughs> Take time to dig into some apologetics. One of the best apologetics I ever read was A Case for Christ. Amazing book. They have amazing studies out there. I'd also let you know if you go to the Right Now Media, there's inside the bulletin, there's a 
log in that you can get free access to it. If you go to Right Now Media and go to the little tab that says FBC Lantana and scroll down it, it's got a whole list of Bible studies on apologetics. See, apologetics is how you defend your faith. And in this world today, we need to be able to defend our faith. And as I said at the beginning, you know, this is a little different than anything I normally do. But I think this is the most important subject on hot topics that we're going to touch. Yeah, we're going to talk about abortion and pro-life. We're going to talk about why it is bad in the world if God's so good. We're going to talk about all them things. But you know what? None of it matters if we can't tell people why we believe what we believe. And if we can't tell people that this is the inspired word of God without using it. Don't use it to say it. Yes, you're going to use it to get someone to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because that's in here. But first, you've got to get them to even want to open it. And if they don't believe it, guess what? They're not going to open it. <clears throat> so we need to be prepared in and out of season to stand on what God's Word says. Be able to go on trial, be able to be your own attorney, and make it to prove it is God's Word and it is what it says it is. It's not easy. No one ever said it was going to be easy. And I want to challenge you today, if some of this I said, you're like, man, I ain't never heard that before. Man, can I get notes on all that stuff you wrote down that you said? Just reach out to me. I'll be more than happy. We need to be able to defend our faith. If you watch the Grammys this week, now I didn't watch it, but I've heard, the, heard all about it and I've seen some of the videos. What they're showing the world today and what they think the world and especially the next generation in the future is relying on, if they're relying on the entertainers and the artists in this world, we're in trouble. Without God's word, without living by faith and being able to defend your faith, you're never going to be able to change what's happening in the world. He told us to be strong and courageous for a reason. In times like these inside this world, we need to be strong and courageous. We need to be bold so that we can stand on his word and defend it. Defend it like our life depends on it. Because ultimately the person you're talking to, their life is going to depend on it. Where they spend eternity is going to matter. And if we want our friends and family to spend eternity in heaven with us, we need to get better at saying, I believe it because... This is what I grew up with. We've got to be able to defend it. We've got to be able to tell people, hey, this is what it says. Let me tell you how we can prove that it is what it says it is. Now that you believe it is what it says it is, let's see what it says about you. And in this world, so many of us fall into the same trap. But now once we get them to say, hey, okay, well, I believe it, but... God would never, ever take me. Well, God's word says now that you believe it's true that we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. So therefore, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Hey, guess what? We all fall short. You okay with that? And guess what? God's word says that. 
But it also says God showed his love for us in this way, that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus went to the cross knowing that we were sinners, knowing we weren't good enough. As a matter of fact, for some of us, Jesus went to the cross knowing that the first time someone talked to us about accepting Jesus, we wouldn't even believe the Bible was true. And yet here we are today. And God's word says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me tell you, you want to go to heaven, you need to believe what that says. You need to confess it with your mouth and you need to believe it in your heart. That's how you're saved. That's how you get to heaven. So ultimately, if someone never believes this, the inspired word of God, they're never going to say, I believe that God raised him from the dead. So we need to start with letting them know it is inspired by God. <clears throat> from the inspiration, we can take them to it. From taking them to it, just like Timothy got salvation through Jesus Christ because of the scriptures, we then can show the scriptures to show how salvation is through Jesus and Jesus alone. And if you've never done that, I encourage you, take the step. Take the step. God's word is true. I believe it. I'm going to do what it calls me to do. I'm a sinner. I fall short of the glory of God, but he loved me enough that he sent his son to die on a cross. And guess what? I'm going to believe that God raised him from the dead because I want to meet him face to face. I want to see Jesus face to face. I want when I take my last breath here and my next breath be looking at Jesus face to face. He probably ain't going to look what I think look like what I think he looks like, but that's okay. That don't matter. I just want to see him face to face. I want to be able to worship him through all of eternity. So if you've never made that, made Jesus the Lord of your life, you can do it today. God's word says today is the day of salvation. So there's no better time than now. Take the step. And maybe you've been sitting here and you're like, you know, Pastor, I just believe what I believe because that's what I was told. <clears throat> Ask God to open up your heart, open up your mind so that you can see what God's word really is and what he really wants for your life. His word still teaches us his will. And we're all required to do his will. Take the time to dig in. Amen? Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we just thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you do in our lives. And we thank you for your inspired word. But Lord, even more importantly than your inspired word is the fact that we still have old manuscripts, old copies of your word. So, Lord, we know what we've got today in our hands is what was penned thousands of years ago. We know that what we have in our hands was put together over 1,500 years by 40 different people, all listening to you, all listening to your word and you telling them what to write and what to do because your word will never fail. Your word will endure through time. And Lord, we thank you for that. So Lord, I ask that you continue to challenge us 
that we can be firm in our faith, that we will take our faith to trial no matter where it is, and that we'll be able to prove our love for you and prove that your word is true without even using your word, but that people will see it in us and see our lives are different so then we can talk to them about you. So, Lord, if anyone here has never accepted you, whether they're here in this room or church online, Lord, that, that they'll make that move today, that they'll either come down front during this final song and, or if they're online, that they'll go ahead and accept you and, and put a little comment in there, I'm accepting Jesus because I believe it's his word and that it's inspired by him. And Lord, that for those who don't believe, that maybe just a little bit of facts will make them dig deeper. And for the people in this room, that they will dig deeper to know more about you. Lord, make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us here today at FBC Lantana for Church Online. And, and, and if if you enjoyed what you saw today, I'd just like to ask you to go ahead, go to our website and, and help support this ministry as we try and outreach and reach the loss for Jesus Christ. And you can just go to our website, fbclantana.com slash give, um, and you can make an online donation right there. Again, I encourage you to get connected to a local church, and especially if during this message you felt compelled to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, definitely go tell somebody. Let someone know because that is the greatest decision you could ever make in your life. And, and from there, get connected to a local church. Hey, we would love to provide you with some resources with that. You can go to our website, fbclantana.com, and on the very front page, you say, give my life to Jesus. Click on there, and at the bottom of there, there's some links and some good information for you. And just wanted to say, welcome to the family.